Cuphead and all hope, listeners. You're listening to Radio Grognard, the OSR podcast about stuff, with your host, Glenn Hallstrom. Hiya, folks. Old Man Grognard here. Happy Friday. Hope you're having a good day. I'm getting ready to start my day, and it looks bright, as usual. And first off, first thing on the agenda is a voicemail by Darren. Now, Darren is Colin from Spike Pitt's brother. That's why he sounds similar. He wanted to tell me what kind of GM screen he uses. So take it away, Darren. Hi, Glenn. This is Darren Green, uh, Spike Pitt's brother. Just uh, been catching up on Anchor. I'm new to Anchor. I've been listening back through all your podcasts and really enjoying it. So I'd just like to congratulate you on doing a great job on the podcasts. Um, but I also wanted to message in and just say what what I wanted to say about DM screens. Uh, I know it's been commented on quite a few times through your podcast. I'm looking to actually use my laptop. Um, so I'll have my notes and all my um, dungeon information and maps on the laptop, all, all my uh, monster information, everything I need on that front. Uh, also going to be using... Uh, tabletop audio or Scar and Scape to do sounds um, and maybe even some other software to use some visual. I know you've got a laptop, so I just wondered if you considered this or a laptop with a small screen. Okay, thanks. Bye. Thank you, Darren. I appreciate that. Yeah, I've seen people use DM screens before, and I think it's a good idea. You've got your notes, you've got your maps, you've got your whatever reference you have right there. I don't use those because, first of all, my laptop is too big. And to me, it's all about the real estate behind the screen. I'm always needing a lot of room. I can always use a side table or something, but I really don't want to rely on that because I'll be at places where I just don't have the room. And I need as much room as I can because, for some reason, I always have stuff I need to set up behind the screen just to get it ready, and I need room for that. So what I use is a tablet. If I need anything, I look on the tablet. It's not as as bulky and big as my laptop, and I can lay it flat if I need to, just to get it out of the way, things like that. I I don't want to think of myself as a Luddite, but (laughs) I can flip through a book and find something faster than I can trying to go through a PDF on a screen. And that's even the ones that are bookmarked. So I just find it easier to pick up a book. That's why I need more room. And it's just easier for me that way. So that's the way I do it. But thank you for calling in, Darren. I appreciate it. Okay. I was going to talk about music and sound effects, but I'd already done that in episode eight. So let me give you a little update on that. Sirenscape, like I said, I I don't use Sirenscape, but I hear it's really good. Tabletop Audio, if you want to do it through your browser, it's a fantastic resource. You should check it out, tabletopaudio.com. I like to roll my own, make my own music and sound effects, so I load my tablet up. I even put a, like, 64-gig card in there just to hold all the music and such, music sound effects, things like that, which I've gotten from various and sundry places, some stuff I've ripped CDs off of, you know, I've ripped CDs, I've bought it from Amazon. I've gotten from other places. There's free stuff online. By the way, the BBC has just released a whole lot of sound effects for public use. I've also got things from Incompetech, Kevin McLeod, great place for music 
and it's all free for non-commercial. Same with Jamendo. I think I mentioned those before. But like I said, I like to roll my own, set up my own soundboards with Custom Soundboard Creator by HPixel. I don't know if that's a company or a person, but it's on the Android platform. It's an Android app. You can find it in Google Store. So that's pretty much my music and sound effects update. I was looking through a few things the other day. I'm getting ready to do a review of the Midderlands Expanded, and I'm coming to the end of the book with the with the scenario in it, with the starter adventure, whatever you want to call it. It's very well done. And it's kind of a suspenseful, I guess you could run it as a horror game. It's one of those where you come to an inn that nobody's there. You have to deliver something and there's nobody there. And you it's a mystery. Where is everybody? Totally empty. I kind of like it because I think of it as Lamentations of the Flame Princess Light. I think that that's the way you should see what I don't like about I'm not I'm not going to get on a rant about Lamentations. I love James. James Raggy puts out some awesome stuff. It's just not my cup of tea, that's all. But I applaud him for doing what he's doing. And if you're enjoying the game, hey, great. I've got a couple of his books, mostly stuff like Vornheim, things like that. But I always thought his stuff is so bleak. It's so no-win situation. It's so nihilistic. I don't want to say nihilistic, but you know what I'm saying. It's so negative. This one, it's a true mystery. Yes, there is some horror elements in it. But you got to try and figure out what happened to these people over, oh my God, we're dealing with a big bad thing. We can't win. We're going to die. That's all. That's that's it. That's all. Boy, don't I feel great. On to the next game. It's got just enough horror elements to it, just enough mystery elements to it, atmosphere, tension, things like that. This is where the music and sound effects thing come in that's really good. Anything you can do to kind of ramp up the tension is a good thing. But it's totally solvable. I mean, I'm not saying it's a Scooby-Doo scenario. You know, oh, it's old man Ferguson. We didn't know it was him disguised as the monster. Yeah, it could be. I mean, you know, salt marshes like that. But anyway, uh, it's, it's a good scenario because it ramps up the tension just enough to keep him interested and concentrate on solving the mystery. It works in that respect. That's the kind of, you see, that's the kind of horror and tension type games I like to play, I like to run. Because some scenarios is just horror for horror's sake. And this goes for movies too. I like a good horror film. I like a good classic horror film. Everybody you know, so you just watch the old black and white stuff. Yeah, I watch the old black and white stuff, but I'm not really watching it for the horror I'm watching it for the performances because that's good acting. If it's done well, that's good acting. And some of it is still truly terrifying. But they knew how to do the atmosphere. They knew how to, like, ramp up the tension and then release it. Ramp up the tension. And that's what you've got to get across in a game like this. It's all about the atmosphere. If you can immerse people by doing something like running music and sound effects, the way you talk, whether the how the room is lighted things like that, it'll work in a horror scenario. Call of Cthulhu, I used to, people say, you run the most positive Call of Cthulhu games I've ever seen. And I said, well, yeah, because I want the characters to survive. 
I want to see them survive. I want to see them. I mean, I'm not going to say they're not going to come out of it without scars. I've had some wonderful phobias I've whipped on people <laughs> in Call of Cthulhu, but I'm more con- concerned with the story. I'm always con- more concerned with the story and the mystery and what they have to figure out. I, what I like about Call of Cthulhu is the role-playing, the NPCs. I have so much fun with it. it. That's why I like things like gangbusters and other genres like that, because NPC interaction is my strong suit. And in Call of Cthulhu, you got that plus the ever-present horror of the mythos and things man was not meant to know and other ghoulish things like that. I could probably do that again. You know, I could probably do that in something else like Chill or something like that. It's just I happen to have Call of Cthulhu and that's what I used. So that's my key to running a horror game. It's all atmosphere at the table. And I know sometimes you can't do that in like in a brightly lit convention room or something, but you can you can try. And if you can't if you can't ramp up the horror, concentrate on the story. Concentrate on what's going on, what is the mystery. And you know, take a few few notes from from like I said, movies or even stories. I think I like Call of Cthulhu, but I think it's too wrapped up in its own mythos to do anything other than a Lovecraft type story. I know it can be done, and I know they've tried before, but it always defaults back to the great old ones. So there's that. So that's what I do to run a good like mystery tension story. Because I like those every once in a while. And any you could do it in any genre. You could do it in sci-fi. I'd love to get a hold of James Bond. I want to get a hold of James Bond's White Star and see if I could do it in space, do like an alien thing. And people will get killed. I mean, I don't... Here's the thing about things like Call of Cthulhu. The reason why I'm so positive about Call of Cthulhu and they're saying, oh, nobody died or gone insane. Well, they might. But the whole point is not to stop the big, bad alien thing. Not to stop the big, bad horror. What it is, it, what your goal is, is to stop the people who want to call that big horror into this world. The cultists, the madmen, the, the priests. Those people. Those people are flesh and blood. Those people you can fight. Those people you can stop, I hope. And stay away from magic. It drives you crazy. So, that's how I would run those things. That's how I have run those things before. So I'm going to go start my day. Okay. And I hope you people have a great, great rest of the day. And until I see you next time, bye-bye. Questions, comments, send them to oldmangrognard at gmail.com. We'll see you next time when Radio Grognard is on the air. Mm-hmm.